in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever! Maybe it was just me, but when I wanted to get under my mom's nerves, I'd call her Mommy Dearest. And oh, she just loved that. And you know, the relationships we have with our mothers are just complicated. And believe it or not, the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died, was an instant bestseller on the New York Times list, and it's still up there. Whew, there's a lot to unpack here. Our mothers gave us so much, so much good, and so much generational baggage inadvertently passed down from our mother's mothers, and we can help but pass it on. So I'm doing something a little bit different today. I lost my mother a year and a half ago, and I connected with Chris Jones, who just recently lost hers. And we thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have an honest conversation about our elaborately tangled connections with our mothers and the legacy we hope to leave as we continue to screw up our kids? Oops, I mean, do our very best to improve. But I was really struck with how deeply the conversations go around weight, beauty, and money, and how embedded it is in our hardwiring. This is an episode you'll want to text your friends about, so take a moment, share it with them now, and I would love to hear your stories too. Here's my chat with Chris Jones. Mamas, the two of us are mamas, but we came from mamas, didn't we? Uh, we did. We are here with Chris Jones of Red Door Designs, and it's so funny how we met when your mother, Chris, suddenly passed away. Red Door Designs, I'll tell you, just just a little plug for you, because you're such a genius at what you do, is your trade is copy that sells, right? Like you, you have a story brand uh, framework that um, is all over my homepage of my website. Thank you for that, Chris. Essentially, we met through Elise Archer, and that my mom had just passed away, and that opened up this beautiful, engaging conversation between us. Well, I think what's interesting is that we got to know each other through our relationship with our mothers, and we decided early on. Let's do a podcast episode. Wouldn't it be interesting? Because everyone has a different relationship with their mothers. And what did we say right before we started recording? And I asked you, what, how would you describe your relationship with your mother? Complicated. Complicated. I would do the same. And I don't think my mother knew that I felt it was complicated, but I knew it was. <laughs> So, so you know, true. Yeah. yeah. My, yep. My mom didn't know either. Um, I don't think she would have ever described it that way. But so you lost your mother a couple of months ago. I lost my mom about a year and a half ago. And, you know, in hindsight, I have such a beauty and a different perspective remembering my mother, you know, than I did right after she passed and certainly while she was alive. And there are licenses and things that I have done with my life and with the podcast and with how open I am that I would have never been if my mom was alive. Not that she would judge. I don't know why. It, 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 uh, maybe her passing was her permission to me to just go all out. 
And I wonder, you're two months out. Where are you with your relationship with your mom today? One of the best things that happened for me is that when she began to pass, um, it did come unexpectedly. She suffered from pulmonary fibrosis and also Alzheimer's. So Mm. it wasn't a shock. It's like a double death. But when she actually... It was the double death, and she had both of those for the last eight years of her eight or eight or nine years of her life. And so, in the end, you know, it was not a high quality of life. What happened was she got sick and really got sick to the point where my dad and I decided to call 911 and have her taken to the hospital. And they told us when she arrived at the hospital that she's not going to make it through the night. Mm. So we were not at all prepared for that. I mean, I thought she might have months or even maybe a week, but not even through the night was like, whoa. So um, that part of it was, of course, traumatic and and so painful. But the, the beauty of it was that I got to be there with her during those final 30 hours of her life and hold her hand and walk her through that transition. And that those 30 hours were the most healing, the most beautiful, the most connected, even though she could barely utter a word. Um, So much healing happened for me in my heart. It was like, it was all about the love and the care uh, between our connection and all the gunk that I had, all the resentment, the anger, the, you know, why did you do this? And I wish that were different about you or why aren't, you know, all the, all the gunk about our relationship was literally inaccessible. It was like we were swimming in an ocean and that stuff that muddied up our relationship in the day to day, um, it just wasn't even accessible at all. I, I can't think of a good metaphor for it right now, but I would say that was like phase one of a monumental healing was, was holding her hand and supporting her and nurturing her through that transition And that allowed me to let go of a lot. And I think after she passed, it continued to melt away. I'm two months in, and I feel like it's not that um, I've forgotten everything. It's just that the love and the goodness that she is is so much more prominent in my heart and mind than the other things. I got to write her obituary, and that happened just a few days after she passed. And it's like when your mom passes, and I'm I'm sure you can relate to this, like there's all this stuff you have to do. Like there's paperwork and, and obituaries, and it's like it's a welcome busyness, I think, that it's like hmm. distraction, but also um, like writing that obituary was another layer of like just – focusing on the good and the beauty and the incredible woman that she was. 
and it happened on my birthday, which is mm. an interesting time. But I look at this as it was the best gift, birthday gift that I could have ever received. Not that she passed, but, yeah. but that I got to be with her in that journey. And then writing the obituary, now writing her memorial and just really contemplating and focusing on complex and beautiful human that she was just like all of us I understand what you mean by having some of the resentment melt away and I felt like I spent my entire life angry at my mom resentful of my mom literally and my mom was great but literally running away from my mother's path you know she goes this way I'm going to go the exact opposite I'm not ending up like that and then you become a mother <laughs> and you start to realize now it starts to make sense. What did spirituality look like for you growing up? What were you taught about spirituality? Mm. Well, we weren't, I think both of my parents believed in God, but we weren't church, a church going family and and so it wasn't really like we didn't have that foundation. Um, but my mom was always open to talking about things like reincarnation and kind of she didn't she was open to that stuff. And so she um, she and I would have conversations about that even when I was a little girl. But my best friend, her father was a pastor, and I started to go to church with them every weekend. And then we, I started going to like church camps with her in the summer. I received a lot of good guidance um, around spirituality, and eventually I kind of expanded that to more of like a universal truth. I believe in a higher power, and I do believe in reincarnation, and I believe... I just know with every cell of my being that there is life after death. And so that also really helped, has really helped me just knowing that she's in a better place, that she's not suffering, that she's with us, that that our connection is still very much present. Yeah. How about you? What's your, what's your relationship with spirituality or how, how did your parents... It's funny because... Infuse my, that into your yeah, life. Yeah, my father was raised Catholic. My mom was raised Protestant. She raised us Protestant. My mom went... Um, she grew up going to church. We grew up going to church. And we did what every other family did. Vacation Bible school. I mean, it was just a place for us to go. And I guess my mother... Um, and I feel this too as a mom. My kids go to Catholic school. And I'm like, well, they're not learning faith from me. So might as well... Maybe somebody else will help them at least have some kind of belief because me today, I have no answers. I don't have that confidence that you have. I have the hope and it's something that I'm deeply exploring. But I thought what was interesting about my mom's passing is that when she was in the hospital, she was... Um, she had lung cancer at the end and they knew it was terminal. And so we didn't know if she had a week or a month and she ended up having six months. So we did have a really great, beautiful goodbye, even though she was in pain. 
she died knowing her worth and knowing her value and knowing she was loved. And in her 78 years, she did not know her worth or when she was loved. So I cherished those last six months. But when she was in the hospital and she was in the hospital often, chaplains would come around and say, would you like me to pray for you? And she'd be like, sure. But I don't know that she believed it anymore. I don't know that she had her faith anymore. It wasn't that she was anti-faith. And when she passed, she didn't want a funeral. She she didn't want any kind of church or formality or pastor. She just wanted a celebration of life. And it made me sad. You know, like you learn religion, spirituality, the origins of it from your parents of origin. I, you know, whatever it is, whoever raised you. And to have her not rely on that, she never talked about like, you know, maybe I get to see my parents again in heaven or my siblings, none of that. And again, I don't know if she didn't believe in it or just didn't talk about it, but I remember feeling very unsettled and sad that like from what I can see, she dies and that's it. She's cremated and that's it. What I I believe and hope and feel is that my mother is with me. I feel her deeply, deeply, deeply right here. If you see me on video, I think it's my solar plexus. I don't know where any of the chakras are, um, but I think that's my solar plexus. (laughs) But I feel her really deeply and powerfully. And if I could hear her, she'd be saying, go, Allison, go. And so is that true? I don't know, but that's, that's what I'm believing in. And so I think how spirituality changes like some people get to the end and they're more steadfast in their faith. And some are so absolute. They're so confident. And some are like, oh, and that is really weird to me. That's so weird to me. Like, what makes you sure? Like, how do you feel it in your bones, Chris? I've always been really interested in the topic. And so I've read a ton of books. I actually listened to a podcast called the Jeff Mara podcast, and he interviews people that have had near-death experiences. He has a new podcast every day. Wow. And so often I'll turn it on in the evening if I just need a little comfort or a little reminder. I'll turn on my buddy Jeff Mara and listen to an interview with somebody who has crossed over and come back. And it's always really calming for me to just be reminded that there's love, there's life, there's connection, there's just pure beauty. So listening to him and and reminding myself of those stories continues to kind of strengthen that belief. But like, I also have like a hummingbird feeder right out to the left of my office window. And I fill it up with, you know, sugar water and the hummingbirds come. And I just, at the beginning when my mom passed, that hummingbird would be there all day long, just all day from the Mm. minute I would wake up until the minute I quit working. And I just, I've had a lot of conversations with myself in my head, like, is that really her? Am I just making this up? I mean, it can't be her. Hummingbirds are just hungry. They're just here for the the food. But I'm like, you know, I'm just going to choose to believe that that's Mm. her. I'm just going to make that choice to believe because 
that that's just an option that I have, and so I'm going to take that option. And now my son, who's five, every morning if he comes into my office, he'll go, Mimi's here, Mimi's here, Aww. and come, come, come look. And so it's a great way to kind of help him realize that she's still with us in some form. Just to take a pivot, <laughs> take a dark turn here. I wonder about the lessons that your mom taught you that were wrong. Like in, in my world, my mother, my parents split up when I was a teenager and my mom didn't work. My father was the breadwinner and my mom, I don't, I shouldn't say she didn't work. She raised six kids by herself. My father traveled and my father's businesses tanked. And when they tanked, my mom had to go back to work. My parents divorced. We lost the house. We lost my dad. He left the country. And it was really hard for my mom. And she fell into a deep depression and got on uh, antidepressants. I think it was Prozac, right when Prozac came out. And she blew up. She became obese, like she had never experienced before. So on top of the depression, and my mother would tell us, me and my sisters, never rely on a man to make money. Always make your own because she made different choices. And I learned actually from Elise Archer that that was kind of a toxic thing to say. Like my mother meant take care of yourself, you know, like it was out of fear, it was out of something else, but it's something that has driven me my whole life that I'm trying to untangle. And it almost feels a little bit traumatic that I, I, I was so unsafe. You know what I mean? Like I had to get safety somehow. And I wonder if you have any teachings or inadvertent lessons or maybe direct oppositions that you question now. Oh my gosh. Just real and raw, right? You touched on two things that I think that I know I can relate to. And I imagine a lot of daughters can relate to, and one of them is weight, and mm. the other is um, money. Mm. And for me, the money situation in my household was was tense. My mom and dad were still together until the day she died, but I think that there was a lot of expectation that my mo mom had around my dad as a provider. I think she married him because she really loved him, but I also think she had expectations around him being this extraordinary provider that she was not going to have to work. And yeah, I think that was her hope. And that it didn't really unfold that way. I mean, my dad was a good pr provider. He is a hard worker. Everyone in our family is just, we work hard. And it's kind of like part of the culture, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't enough for her. She wanted to not have to work. And she ended up, she didn't work for a while when I was younger, but right around sixth grade, she went back to work. And I think she needed to, to kind of afford the lifestyle that they wanted to um, present to the world and to, to live themselves. Mm -hmm. So 
You're touching on some big tripwires over there. You're touching on some big <laughs> tripwires around, you know, the appearances, right? Yeah. But I remember um, this moment where I walked into the kitchen area to the dining room table and I could tell my mom was at the end of the table writing checks and she was paying the bills and I could feel her anger and her rage and her mm. the, the energy in the room was so tense and it was just this I think feeling of like oh my god I, we've got to pay these bills and we don't have the money and I was so young I couldn't ask what was going on, but I could feel that. And there was just, there was like an undercurrent of there not being enough, Mm -hmm. not going to be enough. And that is something that, that I am in the process of and continually unraveling for myself, but it's a process and it's a big one that I inherited, I think from my family and unraveling. I think that scarcity is probably way more common than anyone is willing to talk about openly and or even to look at because it's hard. It's really hard. And I'll tell you, this happened about a week ago. I left my corporate job a year ago and making a run at like building a whole new business out of scratch. And so financially, we're in a precarious position. And my kids said to me, Mom, can you please get a job so we can get a dog? And I was like, oh, man, this has to end. This is like generational, generational belief that has to end here. And so my husband and I huddled together and we sat the kids down and we said, Mommy's doing something really brave right now and really courageous and Like her getting a job doesn't solve the problem and we all need to help. We all need to work on this together and don't worry, you will get everything you want in the end, but we have to all be courageous and brave. And it was such a different conversation because when you start to hear things like we can't afford or we aren't able to like, and I could see the generational Uh, lessons being passed down of, I can't let me be the problem here. I needed to reframe this. And so Mm -hmm. I I just think you're right. Like the money and the weight thing, especially like for women, we hear this a lot that you have to take up as little space as possible, right? We have to be as skinny as possible in order to have worth and value And even those conversations as a kid, my mother was, she never made comments about my body. I remember very early saying, I would hear people around me say, oh, I'm so fat and they're 11. And I'd be like, yeah, I guess I'm fat too. You know what I mean? Like it just, there's, it it happens so early and so much of it might be, I, I don't remember my mom commenting about her body. But I know how many women will say, don't eat that, you'll get fat, or I can't eat that, even now. And so even, like, it's so complicated, it's so layered, right? Well, I know for me anyway, there was another undercurrent around food and weight that was just 
so clear to me. And it was very much like, you need to be skinnier than you are. And I think my mm. mom's biggest fear was that I would I would be heavy or overweight and that I would, number one, that that might reflect poorly on her as a parent. Number two, that might make my life harder as far as, I don't know, social acceptance. I'm not sure. I think she she thought it would be best if I was skinny. And so, like, I remember in fourth grade her telling me that I was going away to an overnight camp um, with my fourth grade class. And she said, if you can come back f- five pounds less, I'll pay you five dollars. Damn. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. That's a message. <laughs> I know. And I, yeah, that is a very clear message. And so I remember being on that trip and my my teacher, my fourth grade teacher, Miss Ford, she offered me a slice of cheese and I wanted it. But I said no, because I wanted to lose the five pounds in a weekend. Where do you think that came from, from your mom? Where do you think that came from? My mom was a beautiful woman. She was, she had a great figure. She was beautiful. She had a beautiful face. And I think she wanted that experience for me too. I also think I was kind of an extension of her ego. And so she, I just think it was very important to her that she have a daughter that kind of not be, that, that, that I just be kind of mainstream. And I also think like my grandma had issues with food and I'm sure her mother had issues with food. I think, you know, the women in our family often numb or use food emotionally to cope, you know, with whatever is going on, mostly frustration around not having the freedom that we wanted, or maybe the disappointment of not having our lives unfold around the way that we wanted them to. Can we talk about the Um, freedom? Can you say more about freedom that they want? What does that look like in your family? Yeah. Well, for my grandma, my, so my grandma was a very liberal type, you know, she was creative, she was a performer, she was theatrical. And she just, she, she actually got a scholarship to college as an orator to, to speak, you know, and she had this potential and possibility to like, in that era to be doing that like what it would have been profound she did not take the scholarship she did not go to school she married my grandfather who was like a you know I would liken him to like an army sergeant he was very rigid very controlling and I think he you know he confined her in ways that were unbearable to her soul And she was always talking to her kids about buying an Airstream and leaving their dad and just traveling around the world and having like, I think that that story is the essence of kind of what the idea of that freedom. And but ultimately, she needed a man to pay the bills. She didn't have the courage to leave. 
and just struggled, you know, she just struggled. And I think, I think that that stuff kind of gets passed down through the lineage. The generations of women in my family have continually pushed things down, kept their truth a secret Mm. in order to keep up appearances in order to make things look good and to kind of keep going with the way things are and not make waves or make disruptions, maintain this facade of happiness. God, that is so resonant. And I even think culturally, you know, it has to be more common and even the role of a woman, right? Like we're seeing this since the Me Too movement happened, We're seeing this unfold and change, do a complete about face in real time. And I wonder if you were to continue a mission as the legacy of your mother, what torch would you want to carry in her honor? Mm. Gosh, what a beautiful question. Let me think on that. I want to ask you that question. Mm, Damn it. (laughs) Um, I I think, you know what, I actually have an answer to this. You know, I I told you that I feel my mother more powerfully than I ever have. And I feel like my full expression of who I am and me being fully expressed in this life is my legacy for her and for my kids. And I've learned as... um, if you're into my uh, into human design, I did an episode on it, episode 174 on it. I'm a generator and generators, like when they're lit up, they light everybody else up around them. And so if that is my gift in the way that I'm designed, then I can't lose that if I, if I no longer hold back, if I say what's on my mind, of course, respectfully and with grace, but you know what I mean? But like, if I'm fully expressed, then I think it would be the highest honor for my mom. I think, you know, like I said, I think my mother went through her entire life feeling unworthy, feeling maybe comparing and feeling bad about herself. And we grew up in a really, really affluent area. We were like the poor people of the affluent area, but my mother had these really amazing friendships until the day she died. And my mom had no money and suffered with her health when my parents split up. And so for 25, 30 years, she never had access to money or resources and relied often on the kindness of the people who love her. And her friends were really wealthy. It was never an issue for them. They could go on trips around the world and I think somewhere my mother internalized and I, she never expressed that. This is just me projecting. Maybe I I don't know that she felt worthy. A lot of them are still married, happily married, still taking trips, never having to worry about money. Of course, having issues, you know, health, whatever it is. But my mother had a, she struggled with everything, but tried so hard, like you said, to keep up the face, you know, she would, feel awful, but she would have like a coach purse and her nails done and the nails would be completely grown out. Like she was just trying to hang on to something to present in a way that felt like she still had it going on. And, uh, it it was just, 
convoluted. And I think my mom really struggled like with some of her choices. And she was such a great mom and loved us so much. And I think she would be, in my opinion, very judgmental of other people's marriages or partnerships. So if there was hardship, her answer was leave them. That's what she did. Not that she was better off, but I always wonder if she not regretted the decision to leave my dad, but I wonder if she regretted a lot of her decisions because it didn't bring her comfort. The one thing that she did absolutely right were how she raised us and that we loved her and that she did do so much. And, you know, like having six kids, her most important thing was that we love each other. And, you know, for the most part, we really do. So I don't know. I think that's how I would answer. It was a long answer, but I would fully be fully expressed. How would you answer? That's so beautiful. I would say the evolution, my hope would be that the evolution of of the lineage um, between my great, great, great grandmothers down through my mom, that I can step into showing up authentically and in like the realness of, yes, I've got my shit together and yes, sometimes it's a shit show around here, right? (laughs) It's like, it's both. And that's, that's normal. It's the light and the dark. It's like, we don't have to be ashamed of the shadow or the parts of us that are just so human that it's okay to be a really good mom and a, and a bad mom. Mm. That's part of like the human experience. So I would, I would love to just break out of that continuation of um, feeling like I have to show up with some kind of facade or filter the things that I say, because I don't want people to think a certain way about me. Like I think my, my learning and my, my growth, and I've always kind of fundamentally been like this, but I think we can all get better at it and I'm getting better and better at it, but just being real, like, you know, not sugarcoating stuff or not when people say, how are you, you know, being real about those answers. And I think also really learning to love my own body. And that is definitely also a work Mm. in progress. Um, Mm. But I think that, that the, the weight and the food piece that I have inherited from my mom has been a lifelong journey of healing. Mm. Chris, I am so profoundly amazed by your self-awareness around this. And I'd love to end on this question. What about your mother would you love your son or your kids if you have more to know? Wow. Well, the beautiful thing is that my little guy is five. And so he has a relationship with her. And I think what he what he knows and what I want him to continue to know is how 
silly she was. Like, she was such an elegant beauty. Like, she was a model. She was all the things. She was so elegant. And you would not expect someone that beautiful and that elegant to be hilarious and silly. And so my hope is that he continues to see that in her and continue to know that about her because I think that's what what really bonded them together. That is so funny. My answer would be my mom's sense of humor because she was funny. She just loved to laugh and just, you know, like we would rip on her all the time and she thought it was just hilarious. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for sharing your heart and, you know, like the, the relationship with our moms are so... They're so deep, right? Like they're so complex and so deep. And as as you continue to do reflection, I'm really honored that you would share her stories and her memories and your own evolution with us because I think I think it'll really help people feel not so alone. Mm, I'm grateful for you too. I appreciate all the wisdom and sharing that you you shared today. So thank you. I love Chris Jones coming on and talking so honestly about her relationship with her mom and being able to share a little bit more about my story with my mom. And I wonder if you had any insights thinking about your own relationship to your mama. You can connect with Chris and I've linked her info in the show notes. She's actually a brilliant copywriter and specializes in copy that sells for businesses, especially for smaller ones or even solopreneurs. But as for me, I have been building something to provide some much needed relief for burnt out professional women and can't wait to bring it to light. And I'm also offering free calls if you're looking for some kind of relief. So very, very soon, you can go right to allisonhair.com. Leave me your email address so you can get my short weekly emails to help you connect to your most alive self again, but also be the first to know about new programs and new offerings that are coming out and could really make a huge impact for you. As always, be good to yourself so you can be better for others. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.